Well, today we're going to be concluding our series on living this life, putting some practical applications to the last chapters in the book of Romans. We talked how the first 11 chapters, Paul had given us doctrinal foundations that we would build on. And the doctrinal foundation always comes before the application. We need to know the truth so that we can do things the right way. And now he starts putting this application into practice. First week we talked about the foundation, our relationship with God. Romans 12.1, that we present ourselves living sacrifices, holy, acceptable to God. It is our spiritual form of worship. It is our reasonable service. That that relationship with God is where it begins, is the foundation. And that it is a living relationship. It's not based on rules and regulations. It's based on the Spirit of God working within our lives, directing our lives, guided by the Scriptures. Jesus was our model. He is our model. The things the Father said, He would say. The things the Father told Him to do, He would do. He was led by the Spirit. Though He was God, He did not act as God or think equality with God was something to grasp for. Scriptures tell us that He lowered Himself, making Himself a servant, just like we are to be. And living that life that was pleasing to God, giving us an example of what a life yielded to God is supposed to look like. Second, we looked at our community, the church, and how it is necessary that we are here together, that we gather together. We are here to strengthen one another. We are not alone in this. We are a community of believers. We are the tribe of Jesus. We are the church. We don't go to church. We are the church. And having that distinction and understanding in our minds is an important one, lest we pass on our responsibility to an organization and not realize that we each are a part of this body, that we have a role to play, that we are participants and not spectators. Last week we talked about our responsibility to the world around us, to be obedient to the authority that is over us, to pay our taxes, to live lives that are, are peaceable, to what it says, mind our own business or take care of our business so that people cannot defame the name of Jesus because we are being responsible. Talking about that just relational responsibility that we have. And now we're going to conclude in talking about our freedom. Freedom for a purpose. It is freedom so that we can love. Open to Romans chapter 14. We're going to read verses 1 through 8. It says, Accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters or, or opinions. These are non-essential things. It's important to understand that as we move forward. One man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. Poor guy. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not, and the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. 
Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. He who regards one day as special, as special does so to the Lord. He who eats meat eats to the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself alone, and none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. There are a couple of things that capture my attention in these few verses. And the reason they capture my attention is because they're contrary to how I normally think. The first thing that captures my attention is that the person who is considered weak is the person who actually has less freedom or more restrictions or more convictions. The person who's put more restrictions on their lives. Now, before I go further, I want to explain what Paul is talking about here, about the eating meat, about eating vegetables, about the days. At this time in Rome, you've got this collision of cultures. You've got the Gentile, the Roman culture, and you've got the Hebrew culture. The Hebrew culture had specific dietary laws that they were not allowed to eat. The Roman culture did not have those laws. The Hebrews were limited to the things that they could eat. They couldn't eat ham or pork. They couldn't eat shellfish, lobster, crab, shrimp, those kinds of things. There were limits to what they could eat. And there were no limits here. And now you have these two groups coming together. And so you have the tension of what's allowed to eat. Not only that, but in Rome specifically, there was the worship of a multitude of gods. You could worship the god of the sun. You could worship the god of pleasure. Whatever you wanted, they had a god that you could worship. And what would take place is they would offer animal sacrifices to these gods. And then after they were done with the sacrifice, they killed the animal, they had the body of this animal, they said, well, what are we going to do with this? I know, let's make a profit, let's sell it to the market. And they had these places that were called shambles, they were markets where you could go and buy meat that was a lot cheaper, it was our food for less, so to speak, where they could go and get the food that they wanted for these animals at a discounted price. But you see, this animal has been offered to who knows what God. And now I'm going to buy it as a Christian believer and bring it into my home? Some people had a real problem with that. And so that's the situation that Paul is talking about. And when he talks about days, he's talking about the Sabbath day. Saturday was considered the Lord's day and it was set aside for the Jewish people, but in the Gentile world, that was not the case. And then the church started meeting on the first day, Sunday, of the week. And so there was the tension, well, no, you're supposed to worship on Saturday. Well, no, it's okay to worship on Sunday because that's what the apostles did. Jesus rose on Sunday, right? So there was this kind of tension. What are we going to do? How are we going to figure this out? What is the right thing to do? And Paul starts giving this instruction of how we are to live together. And it's important to recognize that freedom is an important part and it's a requirement to move forward. And so he tells us that those who are weak are actually those who put more restrictions on themselves. Now notice he doesn't say those who are wrong, but he says those who are weak. There's a difference. He says one person eats the food 
just the vegetables. Others don't. They can eat anything they want. It's okay. In fact, that's the second thing that caught my attention, is that he said his answer to this conflict is saying that in verse 5, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. He doesn't say, you're right, you're wrong. He says, you need to be fully convinced in your own mind. This is interesting because to bring unity into the body of Christ, the believers that are here, we don't need to all see the same thing. We just need to be fully convinced. And again, we are talking about disputable matters, opinions, things that are peripheral, not things that are essential. We're not talking about core beliefs of the Christian faith. We're talking about these little things that come up. And I was trying to figure out what would be a good example, because we don't, as far as I know, have any sacrifices of animals being taken place and then food brought to the market. We, we don't have those kinds of things. I mean, we just go to In-N-Out and we get our burger and we trust that it's been through the, you know, USDA process, whatever that means, you know, tastes good, it's okay. But we don't have those kinds of restrictions. And so what would be something that would be controversial? What would... <laughs> Here we go. Let, let's bring up controversy. Why not? And I thought, well, alcohol, drinking. Some people feel a freedom to drink. Some people don't. The argument against it, do you know the problem that alcohol has caused to our society? The devastation in families and lives that it has caused, the death through alcohol-related accidents. That's a legitimate response and concern. And someone could say that and, and have this conviction in their mind, just as someone could say, do you realize that this animal that you're eating was just offered to this God in a drunken orgy? Are you going to now sit down and eat it at your table? Don't you realize you're contributing to the pagan worship? You're, you're putting money back into those people's pockets? There's the correlation. As closely as I could find one and put one together. Those who drink say, there's nothing in Scripture that says you can't drink in fact, the Proverbs say that there's joy in the Psalms also in wine. It does prohibit us from drunkenness, but it doesn't prohibit us from drinking. And so I have the freedom to drink. Wine is supposedly good for your heart, just a little. And so I have the freedom. I enjoy a glass of wine. I enjoy a beer with my Food, I don't get drunk, I am not sinning. I have the freedom to do this. I'm not one of those statistics. And so here is one of those areas where you have division and you have strong beliefs on each side. What are you going to do when you come here together? What's going to be, are you drinking? Let me smell your breath. Here's the test, you know. Everyone who comes to the door, we're going to see, make sure, what are, what are we going to focus on? What is going to be our essential? Are we going to be someone who makes sure that everyone does what we want? I'm going to convince you what I think you should be doing. 
Paul says, you just need to be fully convinced in your own mind. Now, to me, that is mind-boggling. That's not how I've been brought up to think. I've been brought up to think this is the right way, this is the wrong way, so you need to get right, which is my way. I want you to side with me, and then we can have harmony. And Paul says, no, that's not the case. What you need to do is be fully convinced in your own mind and actually the one who says, I don't care that the meat has been offered to idols. It doesn't mean anything. I can go ahead and eat it. Paul says they are stronger. Now, what does that do to the whole, you know, mix? You know, does that mean the one who can drink alcohol is stronger? No, I can't believe that. I can't believe that. There is turmoil. I don't drink. It is my conviction. I have the freedom to drink, but I don't because of the damage alcohol has caused to people I know. I think it would be bad for me, for their sake, to drink. Now, I've gone to weddings where they've served champagne and I've had sips of champagne. I don't grab the bottle and start downing it. I, 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 I just have the glass and I don't freak out and go, oh no, there's alcohol in my system, you know, I'm going to go purge now. You know, I don't, I'm not worried about those things. The alcohol doesn't mean anything if it doesn't intoxicate me, it doesn't affect me in that way, then I'm not worried about it. But I have the freedom to do whatever I want and so do you, but what needs to happen is we need to be fully convinced in our own mind free to make up our minds. Why is this so important? Why is freedom so essential? We're going to look at a few things as why it is. In Matthew chapter 11, verses 18 to 19, Jesus said, For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He is a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is provided right by her actions. Here we have an example where nothing was going to please the Pharisees, but what their complaint was to Jesus, you're having a good time. You're eating, you're drinking, you're not being as serious about your faith as we are. You're not being as legalistic, you're not being as spiritual as our as we are. How do we measure our spirituality? By the things we do, by the things we abstain from, by our rules and regulations, we equate our closeness to God. And so they were looking at Jesus and saying, no, you're, you're not doing things right. You're eating and drinking with a bunch of sinners. That can't be good. And something in our minds just connects to this thing that the idea of freedom and holiness don't seem to go together. When we think of being free, we don't think, oh, that's going to make you more holy. We think, oh, no, that's going to lead to trouble. No freedom here. And that's why ladies used to wear dresses down to their ankles and no makeup. I don't know. They went together, you know, just make them as unattractive as possible, and that way you're safe, I guess. Sorry, ladies. <laughs> but the idea was we're going to put these restrictions on you because too much freedom is dangerous. You know what? It is dangerous, but it's necessary. It's dangerous because of what can happen, but it's necessary because if you're not free to choose 
and make the choice, then you are not serving with your heart. You are being constrained to serve. And so the idea of holiness and happiness or freedom doesn't seem to, to go together. You know, sacred it has to do with silent. You know, the idea of sacred, oh no, it's a sacred place. Shh, shh, you come into the temple of the holy, you know, the God now. Shh, everyone come in. You know, low chanting going on. You know, that's my chanting. That's the idea I have in my mind of sacred. But remember in Nehemiah chapter 8, when they found the scrolls, the law, the people saw the scrolls and they read them out loud and the people said, oh my gosh, we haven't been living right before God. And they tore their clothes and they started just weeping. And Nehemiah said, stop it. This is not a day of mourning. This is a day of celebration. It is a sacred moment. And so we see in Nehemiah, what was sacred was a celebration that God has revealed himself to us, has made himself known, and they had the Feast of Tabernacles. They had a party. There was no drunkenness. There was a freedom to worship and rejoicing, and that was sacred. For us to worship God genuinely, there has to be freedom. Because if I constrain you and force you to do this, then we are missing the whole point. It is something that you're being forced to do, not something that you want to do. And as soon as the force leaves, you will do whatever you want because your heart was never there. Parents, we know this. We so want to see our children go the right way. And so we think the way to keep them from going off the path is to stop allowing any freedom and make them go this way. And so we restrict everything. Be home by eight. Eight? It's Saturday. I'm 21. <laughs> I don't want you to fall. Be home by 8. And we put rules and regulations to keep them on the track, but we can't watch over them forever. And the day will come when your hands are unable to constrain them any longer, and they will do what is in their heart to do. And freedom is necessary to see what they are going to do, to make the choices, to make the mistakes, and to walk on their own towards God. They need that option. They need that opportunity so that we can direct them. Jesus also said in John eight thirty one, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. What was his teachings? That you had to believe in him, that he was the way, the truth, and the life, that he was the Messiah, that the connection to God came through him by faith. This is his teachings. This is what he promoted, that it wasn't a matter of the regulations, that it was a matter of faith and belief and trusting God. 
Verse 33, it says, They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Freedom comes by having faith in God. And you see, they were saying, we're descendants of Abraham. We've never been slaves. It is our right. This freedom that you talk to, it is ours by our inheritance and who we were born to under. It is our nation. It is what we were born in. We have the right. And Jesus is saying, no. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. The difference here is you can either be a slave or you can be a son. To be a son, you have to put your faith in the son, and he will set you free, and then you will be free indeed. So it's not where you were born, it's not what you've done, it's who you trust. And we're talking about freedom here. We're talking about being set free. What were they not free from? They were under their rules and obligations. They didn't have a relationship with God. What they had was a religion that told them what to do. To have a relationship, there needs to be freedom, to make choices, to walk with God. We talked about this in the first study, about a living sacrifice, that it was something that we offered ourselves to God in worship. It was a living relationship. It wasn't based on rules. It was based on our relationship with God. As he speaks, we hear and we do. And Jesus is saying here that the difference between being a slave and being a son is moving away from religion into faith. Moving away from obligation and moving into a place that really sets you free. Because Jesus is taking care of our debt so that we don't owe it any longer. We are free. Now, what are we going to do with this freedom? How are we going to move forward? And what is this freedom for? We're not free just so that we can do whatever we want. Paul's going to talk about that in Galatians that we'll get to. But this freedom that he's speaking about in Romans, this ability to make up our own mind to choose, to have the freedom to either eat or not to eat, to worship on this day or not worship on this day, to be convinced in our own mind in this relationship with God, to not judge one another. The reason is so that we can better one another. We are free for a purpose. We are free so that we can love. Look at some of the verses in chapter 14 with me. Chapter 14, verses 22 to 23. It says, So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the man who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But the man who has doubts is condemned if he eats, because he is eating not from faith. And everything that does not come from faith is sin. So it's all about this relationship with God that we believe in. Anything that's outside of that relationship is sin, whether you eat or whether you don't eat. Well, which one's right? Which one's wrong? Either one can be wrong if it's not done unto the Lord. Whether we live, we die, we belong to the Lord. The idea is you do it 
for the Lord and you do it as an offering in faith. Faith is the key. And so he gives us a list of things that we're supposed to do. Well, before we get to the list, turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. I'm getting ahead of myself. Paul in the book of Galatians is dealing with the same situations that he's dealing with to the church in Rome. Those who are trying to put regulations on the believers saying, this is what is necessary for you to be right with God. And Paul says that is wrong. And in chapter 5, verse 1, he says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. He calls it a yoke of slavery, rules and regulations that you have to follow to be right with God. It's slavery. It's not freedom. It's slavery. It is necessary that you recognize that you stand fast in the freedom that God has given you. You are his child. If you put your trust in him, you have a relationship with him. Whatever you do, you do unto him so that it is by faith. Go on down to verse... 13 in chapter 5. It says, You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge in, in, in the flesh. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, Watch out, for you will be destroyed by each other. And so we see that the purpose of this freedom is so that we can love. It's not so that you can do whatever you want, live and enjoy the indulgences of your flesh. No, you are free so that you can love one another, so that you will not devour one another, that you will take care of each other. Your freedom is a benefit. Freedom is an incubator for love. It cannot exist without the freedom. And there needs to be that freedom so that love can be demonstrated. I have been so just thrilled when people have said or told someone and it comes back to me, you know, I like it here, Genesis, because I really feel comfortable. I can come as I am. I don't feel like someone's going to judge me or condemn me. I've had people say some of the funniest things, or at least I think is funny. You know, someone says, hey, man, you're kind of uptight. Man, go get a beer. You know, it's like, well, that's not the advice I would give someone, you know, but... This is a place where freedom is allowed so that we can love one another and we will direct each other as we move forward in the things that we're supposed to do. We are going to allow God to reshape our hearts and our lives wherever we are coming from. Let's face it, we're coming from completely different areas. Some of you have come up, grown up in the church. Some of you, church is foreign to you. Well, this place, there is freedom. But the freedom isn't for yourself. It isn't so that you can enjoy all the things that you want to. The freedom is so that you can give and help others. So that you can love even as you were loved. Paul tells us this. The purpose of freedom is that we would care. Freedom is the environment so that love can flourish. In Romans 14, 13, I'm going to go through just a few of these real quickly. He says... 
Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. That's love. You're caring for your brother. He's just told us we can do what we want, just be convinced in our own mind. Again, we're not talking about sin. He just told us we can't have this freedom to sin. We're talking about those other things that aren't essentials, that are disputable, that are opinions. I have an opinion about this. I have an opinion about that. We're talking about those things. Well, I'm not going to do anything that's going to pass judgment on someone, condemn someone, or block them, or put an obstacle between them and God. Verse 15, he says, If your brother is distressed because what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy your brother for whom Christ died. In other words, your freedom isn't more important than your brother. Now here he's using eating. The same thing would apply to drinking. The same thing would apply to you fill in the blanks. What's more important, your freedom to do something or your brother not to be stumbled? Your brother not to be stumbled. You need to care about them and by love take care of them. Verse 19, he says, Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Edification means to build up. So my freedom is going to be used to build you up. Not to get my own way. Not to do whatever I want. I am under obligation, but it's my own obligation. Just like I said, I don't drink because I have a conviction that it is better for those around me that I don't. And so I don't. Because it's for their sake. Not for mine. It's for theirs. Verse 15 or chapter 15, verse 1 through 3, it says, We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. There, you have freedom, you can please yourself, but that's not what it's for. Each of us should please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. Verse 70 says, Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. So we see that the purpose of our freedom is to build each other up. We have the freedom to do what we want, but we are going to use that to help one another. We need to be convinced that what we are doing is just that. Our freedom is not for ourselves, it is for others. Accept them as Christ accepted you with all their differences. Allow them their freedoms. Don't get down on them. Don't try and make them like you. Because that's what we do. You know, I don't think you should do that. Well, why not? Is it wrong? Well, the Bible doesn't say, but if you're close to God, you won't do these things. And is it of faith? Because if it's not of faith, it is sin. They need to be convinced in their mind. And you can instruct someone if they're doing behavior, things that are devastating to them or damaging to them. You can help someone. Why? Because it's for their benefit. But don't put burdens on people. Don't make them do what you do. Oh, you're a Christian now. Well, you can only listen to the Gaithers. <laughs> no! 
my wife, when she became a Christian, she went to this concert. There was a band back at the time, and she, her brothers told her, you need to get rid of all your music and all your albums. They're evil. And so she did, and, and the only groups that were out there were just horrendous. And she was thinking, oh, well, I guess this is what i got to settle for. But that's not the case. We don't put our obligations on people. You are free. You have freedom to honor God with your life. Your love will do more than putting obligation on someone. People will do for love what they will do for nothing else. But for love to exist, there needs to be the freedom to respond, the freedom to act, the freedom to have a relationship, and the relationships vary because we're all individuals, and God deals with us in individual ways. He doesn't cookie-cutter us out and say, this is how you all need to behave. If you go to Christians in other parts of the world, they have different priorities than we do because of their society, because of their, their culture. They still have the same belief, belief in Jesus Christ, that he alone is the way to God, that he paid the price on the cross for our sin, that faith in him alone is what brings salvation, that he rose again from the dead. These are the staples of Christianity. These, these are our foundations. This is what we hold on to. But love is what allows us to grow and do what we would not do any other way. You know, recently, Corrine and I took a vacation. We went to North Carolina. You're thinking, why would you go to North Carolina for vacation? Well, because our son was there, and he was going to be deployed and go to the Gulf. And so instead of going to you know, San Juan Capistrano or, or someplace nice and pretty by the coast, we went to North Carolina. We took our money and invested it in some air tickets, we, we stayed at the, the Ramada Inn, which it, it's not quite... Anyway, <laughs> it, there is a song. Years ago, Randy Stonehill did a song, a spoof on Ramada Inn, and I remember part of it, one of it in the chorus, it said, mediocre, it's in there somewhere between good and bad. And when you leave, you won't quite believe what an average time you had. And, and that was his song about the Ramada Inn. And, and we stayed at this subpar hotel. Most of our time was actually spent on the military base in his little cubicle that he had, his room, the block cylinder wall, because he wasn't able to leave base. And we spent about three days there. Why would we choose that? Why would we go to North Carolina? Why would we stay in the Ramada Inn? Why would we hang out at a military base on our vacation? Because of love. Because we wanted to be with our son, and I couldn't think of anywhere else I would want to be than right there at that time. Well, I can think of somewhere else, but I'd like him to go there with us. <laughs> The whole idea was I wanted to be, we wanted to be with our son. You see, love will motivate you to do what nothing else can. And to love, you have to have the freedom. See, I had the freedom whether I was going to go to the Ramada Inn or not. 
whether I was going to go to North Carolina or not. But what constrained me was my love for my son. What constrains me in this life, how I'm going to live, is the love for my Savior. And there needs to be freedom to make choices, not rules that tell you what to do. You need to know what you're supposed to do because of your relationship with God. You can't replace that. This is foundational. And don't judge each other. You need to be convinced in your own mind about this relationship with God. If you have conviction, if you are seeking the Lord, then I don't need to talk to you about anything. I don't need to set rules and regulations. You have the relationship with God. God will tell you. God will make it known to you. And he's able to do that. In fact, that's what he said. He is able to keep him. He's able to keep those that belong to him. Now, there's... Man, I'm talking too much. Okay. Living in the Spirit... Walking with the Lord, having the freedom to do so, it gives opportunity. Paul, here in Galatians 5, I'm going to make this brief, he, he gives us two contrasts. He talks about the works of the flesh. And all the works of the flesh that he lists out there, the things that are apart, that are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, this is verse 19 in chapter 5, I, uh, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. He tells us not to, to go be a part of those, that those are like those who will not inherit the kingdom of God. The works of the flesh are, have one thing in common. They are all self-serving. They are self-gratifying. They are all about you. Love is not about you. You are free to love. But all the works of the flesh are about self-indulgence, the things that you want to do. In contrast to the works of the Spirit is, or the works of the flesh is the fruit of the Spirit. It's not the works of the Spirit. It is the fruit of the Spirit. This is what comes out of your life when you are walking with God. It's fruit singular, not plural. And the things that come from your life are things that are edifying to others around you. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such, there is no law. There is no law. What is the summation? If you love one another as you love yourself, you fulfilled the law. The fruit of the Spirit are things that are beneficial to others. They're things that are helpful to others and not just self-serving in ourselves. I love verse 22, it says, or verse 25, it says, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step or walk with the Spirit. I love that. Let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us follow closely behind him. Let us walk with him. You see, we have this freedom so that we can benefit others and that we can follow after him wherever he goes and the things that he desires for our lives and that we would be genuine because love needs to be genuine. 
It needs to be the real thing. And this life with Christ, this life with God, is a life of obedience based on love. Not because someone tells you to, but because you want to. What is going to be beneficial for those around you? I care more about that than I do about satisfying my own desires. And that's what Paul is saying. You guys, you have the freedom to do these things. Do what is going to benefit others. Don't let your freedom hurt someone. Let your freedom benefit someone. And like I said before, the idea of freedom scares us. You can't just say we're free. Do you know what my teenage child will do if you tell them they're free? And so what we want to do is, you're free, but only in this parameter. But love doesn't have judgment. Love constrains us because we care. There was a time with my children where my constraints and rules over them, and they're necessary. When you've got teenagers, believe me, they're necessary. They were there because I loved them. But they didn't want to be there. They wanted, no, I'm out of here. Wanted to leave home. Wanted to be gone away from the rules and regulations, away from the, the things that were there for the family. Now, they can't wait to come home. They have the freedom. They can go anywhere they want. They want to come home. And you see, we, we have to abide by certain things. And, and again, freedom has its boundaries. Scripture is clear on what those boundaries are. The works of the flesh that are given here by Paul are, are boundaries. They're obvious. We should all know these things. All those things that are mentioned there are, are things that you don't cross that line. You don't go there. You're not involved with those drunkenness and dissensions and all those things that he talks about, sexual immorality. Those are your boundaries. You don't go out there. Freedom doesn't mean you can do whatever you want. Freedom means you do what he wants. That you are free to live for God. You can live for yourself if you want and the works of the flesh, and be self-serving, it'll devastate you, and you won't be free indeed. You'll be under bondage. Or you can love God. You can serve Him, do what pleases Him, and care for others, and you will be free indeed. The choice is ours. And Paul, in chapter 15 of Romans he brings a conclusion before he kind of comes to the end of his epistle. Chapter 15, verses 14 and 16. He says, I myself am convinced, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, complete in knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. Wow. Wow. Paul just said something that I think we're, again, afraid to say. I mean, he's talking to the church, and we've been reading through Romans. They had a lot of issues. But he says this. He's convinced that 
You're full of goodness, complete in knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. I have written you quite boldly on some points as if to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles with the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Paul is saying, I trust God for you. He has begun a work, he will complete it. I know that there is goodness in you. Why? Because you have the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is work in you, he is going to lead and guide you, he is going to convict you, he is going to shape your life better than a man can. And we need to understand and rely on the work of the Holy Spirit in the hearts of each believer and allow him to do his job and not take that job from him. Well, you know, if you were really spiritual, you wouldn't do this. You know, if you were really walking close with God, you wouldn't listen to that. You know, if you really were, and we start taking the role of the Holy Spirit, and pretty soon they're walking through this life going, is this okay? Is that okay? And their eyes aren't on God. They're on the rules, the regulations. They're doing the things that they feel necessary to live that life. And they need to recognize, no, you're free. You just need to have conviction in your mind and your heart of what you do that is going to honor God and build up those around you. If you have that, you will go the right way. And you see, instead of getting it on the rules and regulations, start thinking about people. Think about God and think about how your life affects those around you. And do what you do because God has put in your heart His goodness, His love, His mercy, and you have that to give to others. And you have the ability to build up, to strengthen, and to help people along in this life. Or you can live for yourself. You're free. You can do what you want, but your freedom is the opportunity for God to take a person like you, a person like me, and make them someone, an instrument for his righteousness, an instrument of his love, an instrument that proclaims who he is. Why? Because they want to be. You guys, this is foundational. This is what Christianity is. It's his law written in our hearts. Be convinced in your own heart. The freedom you have is power in your hands for the good. Don't use it for yourself. Use it for God. Live for him. Honor him and care about one another. If you do that, your life will leave a mark. If you live for yourself, you'll leave nothing. Jesus said, who the Son sets free is free indeed. The music agrees. <laughs> May we recognize the freedom that we have in Christ and what that freedom is for. It's not for ourselves or to indulge in the flesh. The freedom is to live for God and to love others as God directs us, as God would move us. And we need the freedom for that love to exist. And so you are free in Christ. You are free to love one another. Let's pray.
Father, I pray that you would help us to recognize, God, that spirituality and holiness is not based on works and what we do. It is based on our relationship and faith in you. And Jesus, you are our example. You are our example. And we desire to be like you, that you didn't think of yourself. You gave yourself for us. You had the freedom to do whatever you want, and you chose to be obedient. Hebrews tells us that you learned obedience through the things that you suffered, that you subjected yourself to these things willfully for our benefit. It was this freedom to love that brought salvation to us. It is the freedom we have to love that can take the salvation to others. And Lord, I pray that we would recognize that we have before us an open door. We can be whoever we desire to be. The choice is ours. And if we would choose to live for you, to follow you, and to love others, God, what could you do with our lives? What impact could we make with the things that you've gifted us in, the things that you've put on our hearts, that you've made important to us, that you prompt us? And they can vary, God. They can be from music. They can be to politics. They can be to food. God, there are so many possibilities of how you can use us. Reaching the elderly, those who are in prison, the homeless, the military, our community, children. God, what are you putting on our hearts? And may love move us to care about others. And may our freedom be freedom to love and care and show your concern for those around us. God, thank you for loving us and allowing us this space to live, to acknowledge you and to yield ourselves to you. I pray, Father, that you would work holiness within each of us, that we'd recognize that our freedom is not to indulge ourselves. Our freedom is to indulge in you and to love others. Lord, may that be the important thing in our life. And may we not give up this freedom, Father, for security, for religion, for being comfortable with boundaries that we decide what they are. Father, freedom is a difficult thing. Love is a hard thing. It requires time. It requires attention. It requires investment. Lord, may we invest in you. I do pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.